The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. We begin with banking stocks. They're catching a bid after their worst day in three years, but the fallout from Silicon Valley Bank, it is far from over. And new this morning, federal regulators trying again to sell off SVB. Why Jim Cramer says if it fails again, it could spell some big trouble for the banking sector. And Bill Ackman may be cheering the rescue, but not everyone shares that sentiment. What Citadel's Ken Griffin is saying that may surprise you about this. Plus, with the Fed's rate hiking cycle now in doubt, investors are waiting key inflation data today that could help paint a clearer picture. And later... Call it a crypto crash reversal, believe it or not, as the SVB rescue brings out the bulls. It is March 14th, 2023, and you are watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning and welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Collin. Glad to have you on board. Kicking off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. After just a wild day of trading yesterday that ended with the Dow extending its longest losing streak since all the way back in September. Futures right now. In the green across the board, the S&P, the Dow, and the Nasdaq all up just about a half a percent, give or take a little bit. We're also checking the bond market and the dramatic move lower in yields on the heels of the Silicon Valley Bank rescue. The 10-year yield right now, we're seeing it at 3.58. Something to watch here. Also, the two-year yield we're looking at. Give us a second to change the chart right now at 4.173. And the spread narrowing dramatically in just the last day. At last check, I just checked before I got over here at about 58 basis points. Really a dramatic reversal. We saw that spread almost double previously. We are also watching oil that seems to be impacted by this SVB fallout. We're seeing WTI crude at 73 bucks a barrel, pretty much at its lows of the entire year, down two and basically a half a percent this morning. Brent crude, that's the international benchmark, at 79 bucks a barrel, down two percent. Natural gas also catching a bid this morning, up about one and a half percent. We're also watching crypto, and we're seeing a surge in buying, sending Bitcoin back above 24,000. Right now, Bitcoin at 24,000, almost 350. A lot of people say it's counterintuitive after the closing of Signature Bank, the last major crypto bank here in the U.S. All right, futures may be in the green here in the United States, but over in Asia, it is a sea of red. Let's get a check on the action. Plus, what's going on in Europe? Our Juliana Tattlebaum is standing by in our London newsroom. Good morning, Juliana. Hey, Frank, good morning. Well, the overnight trade in Asia, as you said, was quite downbeat. We saw heavy selling across the region. The Nikkei 225 in Japan down 2.2 percent. The Hang Seng in Hong Kong also suffering some fairly steep losses down about 2.3 percent. And it was the banking sector, of course, in focus that is driving the losses within Japan. The Tokyo Stock Exchange banks in index fell more than 7%. We saw a, a, a major plunge in bond yields in Japan as investors essentially uh, abandoned bets that we could see a change and exit from the ultra-loose monetary policy in Japan. So all of those lower yields filtering through to the Japanese banking stocks, and we uh, in, accordingly have seen them pull back substantially in the overnight session. So there's a look for you at the individual movers. Now, as for Europe, we've seen some stabilization come through. So in line with the 
a positive picture you're seeing in U.S. futures. We've got some green on the board here. Overall, the main benchmark, Stock 600, is trading higher this morning. The banking sector also seeing some signs of stabilization in Europe. Here's a look for you at the banks, the key movers um, within Europe. There is one name in particular that is seeing continued heavy selling, and that is Credit Suisse. The stock is down about 4%. It's one of the worst performers in Europe this morning. Uh, Credit Suisse today publishing its delayed annual report. Um, and essentially in it identified some material weaknesses in internal control over financial reporting, which the bank says could require substantial resources to address. So not only are we seeing a sell-off in Credit Suisse shares, an outsized sell-off, we've also seen Credit Suisse five-year CDS rise to a new record high of 476 basis points this morning. So Credit Suisse continues to be an idiosyncratic problem within the banking sector. Outside of that, though, yes, we have red on the board, but the loss is fairly contained in terms of the magnitude this morning. Frank? All right, Juliana, thanks for the latest over there in London. All right, let's now return to our top story in the continued fallout from the failure and the U.S. backstock of Silicon Valley Bank. Regional banks have gotten hammered in the wake of SVB and growing investor concerns over the viability and balance sheets. This morning, as you can see, catching a bid in a very big way. Green across the board here. A lot of these names were beaten up over the last few days. That includes shares of First Republic Bank. This morning, up 25 percent. We're seeing Comerica up about 7.5 percent. Western Alliance up 18.5 percent. This after the sector saw its worst single-day drop in three years, now trading at its lowest level since all the way back in November of 2020. New this morning, sources telling CNBC, U.S. regulators are set to make a second attempt to sell Silicon Valley Bank after an auction this past weekend failed. But that's not the only development this morning. Joining me now on the CNBC Newsline is Financial Times Corporate Finance and Deals Editor Arash Masoodi. Arash, good morning. Thank you for being here. My pleasure. Good to see you. All right, so let's jump right into it, Arash. A lot of these VC firms that were the clients of SVB, they were accused of basically jumping ship when these problems started. But now you say they're actually trying to save the bank or at least parts of its operation. Yeah, I think what characterized the events of last week was panic. And what, what now, now that the um, deposits are safe, everyone's uh, having second thoughts about how important this bank actually was to their ecosystem. For many of these uh, companies, this wasn't, or VC firms, this wasn't just the place that you know, their portfolio companies put money into and deposited. They had they had multiple touch points, whether it be through, like, the way they finance their own VC operations, the way they get, draw money from their LPs. This, this bank actually, like, embodied the venture capital and, to some extent, private equity ecosystem. And now they're realizing without it, they have a problem. So there, there continue to be a series of phone calls going on behind the scenes for the past three, four, five days which began with uh, basically morphing into intense lobbying efforts to put pressure on the federal government to basically rescue Silicon Valley Bank or at least get to this outcome where the deposits were insured. And now they're thinking to themselves, perhaps we need to work together and buy this, buy this bank out of, uh, buy parts of this bank out of the uh, FDIC. Okay, Arash, using a lot of pronouns, a lot of we's, a lot of they's, let's spell out who you're talking about. You're saying about a dozen VC firms, including General Catalyst, Andreessen Horowitz, Coastal Ventures, have been in talks about trying to save the lending and investing arm. Also, Apollo Global, best known as an alternative finance company, also in the mix. So how do you see this potentially playing out? What could happen this week, if anything? I think it's going to be hard to tell because, as as you've reported and as as we've heard as well, the FDIC is restarting a broader auction for this. So we'll, the big question is: Will a big big regional bank that didn't play ball at the weekend come in, or will they have to do a piecemeal solution here? Everything we've heard to this point suggests that the piecemeal solution is likely the path forward. But the situation is changing so rapidly; it's it's hard to give you a firm answer. 
so I think you will see multiple different proposals thrown at the wall here over the next three, four, five days. And maybe we'll get to an outcome at some point here. But I think, I think we're still in a very, even as, you know, the regional banks parts of stocks, as, as you said, are up today. I mean, we're in a really volatile moment. So it's very hard to sort of be definitive about outcomes right now. Yeah, a lot of questions out there. But great reporting by you, Arash Masoudi. Thank you for being here. Arash Masoudi from the FT. All right, as we mentioned a moment ago, after their worst day in three years, banking stocks appear ready to bounce back a bit this morning. Right now, we're looking at the KRE. It's up a four and a three quarters of a percent. We're also looking at the individual names. First Republic Bank up more than 23 percent. Again, as I said, Western Alliance up about 17 percent. But here's the one week losses of a lot of these banks. First Republic down 66 percent, almost 67 percent in just the last week. Comerica, 33 percent. Zions Bank Corp down about 29 percent. Huge drops by a lot of these banks, and we still have a long way to go. In all, global financial stocks have lost more than $460 billion in market value since just Friday. Joining me now to discuss is R.J. Grant, head of equity trading at KBW, a steeple company. R.J., thank you for being here in person. Thanks for having me, Frank. Good morning. All right, so everybody wants to know what's going to happen next. First, I want to kind of cover what happened yesterday. Uh, A lot of talk about what was going on. What was your summation now that we have the whole trading day behind us? Sure. So as, as you mentioned at the top of the show, it was definitely a wild uh, and intense trading session yesterday. In, in the morning we came in, we were probably 15 to 1 better for sale on the desk. Um, investors were definitely having that moment where they just wanted to get out at, at any price and didn't really care about price sensitivity, liquidity. They just wanted to get out of the sector. So. That kind of stabilized and kind of stopped and slowed a little bit right around 10.30. So we got through the first hour of trading. And then we started to see some buyers come in um, and, and support some of these really beaten up names. All right. So you say you got through the first hour of trading. So obviously it was hectic, as you mentioned. People wanted to get out a lot of these names at any cost. But when you look at the broader sector, um, when we talk about a Zions Bank Corp, we talk about a First Republic. Are you changing your rating substantially when it comes to these companies from a buy to a sell to neutral? I mean, is this an inflection point to change things? No, in general, we haven't. I mean, over the past year or so, we have, been, we have been relatively cautious on the banks. But I think for the most part, we feel that in select names, some of the higher quality names, this is a real good opportunity for investors to make, uh, you know, to make some outsized returns over, over the medium, medium and longer term. So, so many questions about their balance sheets um, when it comes to regional banks, not the big banks, but the regional banks. What makes a quality name at this point? Obviously, their business models are going to change dramatically. So one, one thing that I never really thought we'd see, but a lot of investors are asking for screens of secured uh, deposits versus, versus um, um, back deposits versus, versus non-secured deposits. So not insured deposits, rather. So, you know, the banks that have kind of cleaner, more simple operations and, and less flighty deposits, whether it's in venture, tech, crypto, those are the banks that we really recommend investors going to during this very uncertain time. So now it's all about deposits, you're saying, like, you know, definitely having what I believe is called tier one or core one capital. Um, So for all the people listening, especially the retail investors, what's a good metric when you're looking at that core one or tier one capital? Well, I think just broader, broader speaking, banks that are well capitalized are the ones that we want to go in. So if we're looking now, banks that might be looking to raise capital are the ones that feel not as strong about their capital base or not as strong about their, their deposit base. So what we've generally seen on the desk is, you know, banks like Citizens Financial uh, is a big one, USB, Regions Financial. So banks with strong deposit franchises are the ones that investors have been flocking, flocking to. All right, RJ. Right now, I want to actually bring your attention to some comments from our own Jim Cramer last night saying the worst may not be over for these regional banks. Take a listen, RJ. 
These actions in the stocks of the regional banks took my breath away. Some of these are storied, even stayed. And they're saying that we aren't through this mess. And it is very worrisome that they couldn't find their footing, even after the Fed unveiled last night's bazooka. Now, the Wall Street Journal is reporting this very evening. After failing to find a buyer for Silicon Valley Bank this weekend, Oh, no, the regular is going to try again, a second auction. If this one's successful, then I think the cascading regional banks will bottom. But if it falls, that's just more fuel to the flames, and these will all be lower. All right, so our Jim Cramer saying a whole lot hinges on that auction. Do you share that opinion? Uh, I'm, not, I'm not 100% sure about if it all hinges on the auction. I think, I think yesterday what we saw, for the most part, just in terms of the activity and where we go from here, is that we saw record amounts of notional value being turned over yesterday. And I felt, from a trading standpoint, that we saw a near-term capitulation in the banks. So, um, you know, I feel like the go-forward is that a lot, of this, a lot of this activity where investors needed to get out, we actually saw some stabilization and investors wanted back in and felt that the activity and the valuation reset is providing good opportunities for some really good names. Yeah, I think we're seeing a lot of that this morning. I think so, too. And I think you will see some follow through. I mean, in terms of the go forward, we need to understand what the government's going to do in, in terms of further intervention. If they're going to raise, um, you know, the protection on, on deposits, that's one thing. And then obviously we have to deal with the regulatory fallout from this, what the regulators are going to do and if they're going to make you know, banks, okay. if they're going to make them hold more capital. Um, Holding more capital. A lot of people call in for that. R.J. Grant from KBW, really appreciate you being here today. Thank you for coming in in person. All right, when we come back here on Worldwide Exchange, much more on the banking sector sell-off and if the failure at SVB matters more to the Fed than today's inflation report. Big question there. We're back right after this. Ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? Step up like a boss and save the day? Or see what life's like under the tree of life? Did you? If you could. Would you? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play. Bring the magic at Walt Disney World Resort. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, welcome back to WAX. Investors gearing up for the latest read on inflation today, offering fresh clues on what we get out of the Fed in terms of its rate hike strategy next week. The February CPI report expected to show inflation remaining high, but down slightly from January's reading. Ahead of today's read, it remains widely expected the Fed will continue to raise rates in efforts to tamp down high prices, but some are not so sure. New this morning, the team at Nomura are now betting the central bank will cut rates by 25 basis points at its policy meeting next week and stop reducing the size of its balance sheets. For much more on this, let's bring in Delano Sapporo, founder and CEO at New Street Advisors Group and a CNBC contributor, and Mark Avalon, president at Potomac Wealth Advisors. Gentlemen, great to have you both here. Delano, I'm going to start off with you. CPI, coming up in just a few hours, just a month ago, it would have been a huge market mover. Does it have the same meaning after what we saw with SBB? 
Hey, Frank, thanks for having me this morning. I, I think 100% does have the same meaning. I think if you look at the comments from the Fed uh, over the past several, uh, the half a year, several months, we're still looking at inflation being the biggest thing that the Fed has tried to combat. Um, you know, thankfully for, for a lot of people, for a lot of consumers, you know, the, un the unemployment mark hasn't moved. The unemployment rate hasn't moved much. And I don't think that moves much until we get towards the summer. Um, and so if that's the case, then, you know, if CPIs, the numbers come out, the print comes out hot um, later this morning, I still think that we see the Fed raising rates um, and continuing um, to, to let go a little bit of the balance sheet as well. Mark, same question for you. I mean, again, CPI, huge market mover. Um, when Jay Powell testified before Congress, he said that the Fed is watching this data point along with the jobs report before making their decision. Obviously, that was before SVB. Well, we don't want the Fed to be tone deaf to what's happening in the banking community, but they have to maintain their fight on inflation. That's been what they said. And if they start letting mismanagement and, and hubris and stupidity out of a, a bank out in California govern their monetary policy, I, I don't think that sends the right signal. I don't think they should change course because a bank mismanaged asset liability management, which was the core of this problem. So we expect the Fed to continue their march against inflation, certainly not 50 bips, which we talked about last week, but more around the 25 bit range. So after what we saw here, Mark, I'm going to stick with you just for a moment. Does it change your view on the economy? Um, obviously, the banking sector was in trouble. It's been buoyed by the U.S. government. Does this change your base case for the S&P? Does it change your thoughts about a potential recession coming up? Well, it, it doesn't dramatically change our base case for a mild recession, but it does make it more, more likely because banks will be under heavy scrutiny. The lending standards may raise it's bad credit drives out good credit, and that creates a chill in the market. So the slowdown and the extension of credit is going to exacerbate this, this effort by the Fed to put the brakes on the economy. So we think a mild recession is now far more than likely. All right, Delano, a big split opinion among the importance, the relevancy of CPI after SVB. I want to ask you, how are you balancing portfolios now? And if this comes out to be hot, does that change the way you're balancing? Since you still believe it's a big market mover. Yeah, 100 percent. So so I think since the beginning of the year and even a little bit towards last year, wanting to we were continuing to buy. And I think right now holding positions for, for a lot of people, there's two areas, obviously, that we think two factors that think where things will go from here. Obviously, we mentioned if the inflation data comes out hot, um, then we'll potentially see more rate hikes. And there's that small probability that the Fed will you know, make a, a pivot at this point or a pause um, at this point. But for investors, you want to be positioned in kind of one to take advantage of both those opportunities. You can keep, you know, your your some of your a good portion of cash in, in treasuries in in high yielding um, safe um, um, areas, but also look at a little deeper in the risk curve right now. If you saw the move that cryptocurrency made and some other areas that may be very high growth with smaller amounts of money, I think investors can look at that because if you know we see some sort of change okay. in commentary, I think those will be the areas that will kind of really burgeon um, in that in that in that regard. All right, Delano, ready to take on a little bit of risk. Mark, what about you? Where are you looking? for opportunities? Well, it depends on your time frame here. But, you know, if we're looking at the Fed eventually pausing and, and this slowing the economy down, I think lower rates are going to move back, move tech back into, into the favorable column. And it's gotten beaten down pretty much. 
Uh, mega cap tech has gotten the memo about how important it is to cut expenses and to care more about the boardroom than the game room. And, and I think their their income results, their balance sheet strength is going to continue to improve. And they may, in fact, even be a safe haven for some investors when times are very volatile. So we look we are not abandoning our tech trade. Karen, more about the boardroom than the game room. Mark Avalon, come with the lines. Delano, Mark, great to have you both on. Thank you. All right, ahead here on WEX, while my next guest is calling Silicon Valley Bank the lifeblood of the global entrepreneurial ecosystem, we lay out what's collapse could mean for tech's innovation pipeline. Much more on that story coming up. Stay with WEX. Have you ever brought your magic to Walt Disney World like, hey, we came to play? Did you tip your tiara to a Creole princess or get goofy officially? When we come through, it's true magic. Because we came to play at Walt Disney World Resort. All right, welcome back to WAX. Look right now at the futures a bit off their highs from earlier today, just fractionally. Uh, the Dow Jones, the S&P, and the NASDAQ in the green, however. Could we be seeing a big turnaround in the markets? We'll have to wait and see. We're also looking at the leading stocks in the pre-market in the S&P. Believe it or not, they're all bank stocks. Looking at First Republic Bank up 21%. Key Corp up 13%. Zions Bank Corp up just slightly over 10%. All right, time now for a check on this morning's other corporate top stories. A lot going on out there. Savannah Hanau is here with those. Good morning, Savannah. Frank, good morning to you. So a California appeals court ruling in favor of Uber and Lyft's right to treat drivers as contractors instead of employees. The victory for the ride-hailing companies reverses a previous ruling that said classifying drivers as independent contractors was unconstitutional. Now, it also upholds California's Proposition 22, which preserves the gig economy business model. Uber and Lyft are in a fight with regulators over whether to grant more benefits, such as paid sick leave and health insurance, to their drivers. Shares of the companies moving higher on the news. GitLab is tumbling more than 30 percent. The coding and collaboration platform reporting a smaller than expected fourth quarter loss and a revenue beat forecast. But the company's revenue guidance for the first quarter and the full year is well short of analyst estimates. Earlier this month, GitLab said it was increasing prices for its premium subscription for the first time in five years. And shares of United Airlines are falling as the carrier is forecasting an unexpected loss in the first quarter. United says lower demand in January and February and higher capacity has weakened its pricing power. It also expects higher costs from a potential contract deal with its pilots, Frank. I know I tried to buy a a trip on United and it was very expensive. So. I think airline tickets. Can we ask where you were going? I hope it's not too personal. Where were you trying to no, go? I was trying to go to Columbia, and I had to. I had to go with another airline. It was too much money on United. Were you trying to get your points going or something? Of I mean, course. Well, I think you. Always, I personally, I'm not. A, I am a points person, but I usually just go with the cheaper fare. Oh, of course. Well, yeah. I went with the cheaper fare because I forget the points at this point. Well, some people are all about the points, but we have to talk about that off here. Savannah, right. now we'll see you later on in the show. All right, as we head to break, a reminder, if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange or the WEX team, check us out on all major podcast apps. And be sure to tune in for a special CNBC Pro Talks today. Our Mike Santoli sits down with the Satori Fund's Dan Niles on his strategy amid the banking sector turmoil in the markets. You can find much more over at CNBC.com slash Pro Talks WEX. Back in a moment. Stay with us.
It is right around 5.30 a.m. here in the New York City area, and we're just getting started here on WEX. Here is what's still on deck. Investors bracing for the latest read on inflation amid fresh questions around the Fed's rate hiking plans. Futures in the green, but in a bit of a holding pattern. Federal regulators once again seeking a buyer for Silicon Valley Bank after a failed first attempt to find a suitor. The full story in just a moment. And the fallout over SVB being felt by other regional banks as we learn new details about sizable insider stock selling at those financial firms. It is Tuesday, March the 14th. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Welcome back. It's 5.30 a.m. in the New York City area, about 9.30 a.m. over there in London. Let's pick up the half an hour with a check on markets after Monday's volatile session. Futures right now, as we said, in the green, up about a quarter of a percent across the board right now. The Dow looks like it would open up about 50 points higher. Again, it is still early. We continue to watch the bond market and those dramatic moves in yields and the fallout over Silicon Valley Bank. The benchmark 10-year yield sitting right now at 3.600, the two-year note at 4.211. As we mentioned, that in a dramatic pullback on the inversion of the yield curve, something to watch. Of course, the inverted yield curve, a recession indicator considered by many. We also want to get a check on oil facing its own pullback in recent days and somehow impacted by some of this SVB fallout. We're seeing WTI crude at about 73 bucks a barrel, down almost 2.5% this morning. It's pretty much at its lows of 2023. Brent crude at 79 bucks a barrel, down about 2%. Natural gas off of its highs earlier, now up just about 1%. We're also tracking wild moves in crypto, as well as the backstock at SVB breathes some new life into this uh, area and some bullish sentiment, actually. We're seeing Bitcoin now above 24,000 just a few days ago was actually below 20,000. But this morning, the whole crypto complex in the red, as you can see, Solana, the hardest hit down 3%. It was interesting, some of the rise that we saw following the closure of Signature Bank, seen as the last major crypto bank in the U.S. All right, now to our top story this morning as we monitor the latest developments in the wake of the Silicon Valley Bank collapse and the federal backstock after seeing their worst day in three years. Regional banks appear to be bouncing back this morning and bouncing back in a very big way. We're seeing the movement right here. First Republic up 22 percent. Key Corp up 13 percent. PacWest Bank Corp up 30 percent. Western Alliance up more than 20 percent. This is sources tell CNBC regulators are planning to try once again to auction off SVB after they were unable to do so over the weekend. We have complete team coverage this morning. CNBC senior White House correspondent Kayla Tausche is tracking the latest developments out of D.C., CNBC Wealth Editor Robert Frank is tracking the sizable amount of insider selling around regional banks. And MSA Capital Managing Partner Ben Harburg is joining us on the ripple effects SVB's collapse has had on the venture capital sector. Kayla, let's get to you first for the very latest. Well, Frank, we can confirm that the FDIC was unable to sell the core bank of Silicon Valley Bank over the weekend, and they are going to be trying again to find a buyer, although in the words of one source, it gets less likely with each passing day. Uh, we also know that President Biden is traveling on his second day in California. He fielded many questions about the failure of the bank and what it means for the economy, but he did not respond to any of the questions that he received beyond the prepared remarks that he made yesterday. But the chorus of Democrats crying foul over regulations that were rolled back in recent years 
is growing. Representative Ro Khanna, the congressman from Silicon Valley, uh, in a long tweet thread lambasted the Republican uh, administration uh, of Donald Trump for rolling back some of these requirements. And then also uh, an op-ed in the New York Times from progressive firebrand Elizabeth Warren uh, said this. It was a very lengthy op-ed. And she said, had Congress and the Federal Reserve not rolled back the stricter oversight, SVB and Signature would have been subject to stronger liquidity and capital requirements to withstand financial shocks. But because those requirements were repealed when an old-fashioned bank run hit SVB, the bank couldn't withstand the pressure and Signature's collapse was close behind. Now there's already a discussion underway about what new regulations could follow. There's a nascent discussion around whether to reinstate some of those Dodd-Frank regulations, but there's also discussion around new requirements, like forcing some of these banks of a certain size to hold more of their own long-term debt that could essentially be treated as capital if they were to fail, incorporating interest rate movements into stress tests, which have largely been focused on credit risk and loan risk, after the 2008 financial crisis on which they were designed. Finally, there's discussion around testing asset and liability mismatches because it wasn't just that treasuries declined in value. It was that Silicon Valley bought those treasuries with its own deposits and regulators want to get a better look at what some of those what some of those trades are looking like. Now, it should be noted any of those changes would take months at best to institute. But Frank, one of the nearest term changes that could be made and one that has a lot of political support here in Washington is clawing back some of the stock or some of the the windfalls that the executives got in just days before the banks collapse. Yeah, a lot of talk about this in D.C. and as well on Main Street. I also want to get your take on some comments from a very prominent market voice and very pointed comments from Citadel founder Ken Griffin. Speaking with the FT, he says the U.S. backstock of SVB amounts to American capitalism. This is a quote from him breaking down before his eyes. He also added there's been a loss of financial discipline in the government, bailing out depositors in full. It would have been a great lesson in moral hazard. Kayla uh, from Ken Griffin from Citadel, very different from the strings of tweets we've seen from Bill Ackman, who himself is really praising the rescue for depositors. Well, Ken Griffin is arguing that, you know, if you believe that your money will be safe anywhere, then you won't really be judicious about where you put it or how you invest it. And that essentially a lesson needs to be learned and a company needs to be made an example of. But the reason why the regulators did what they did in this case was not just because of Silicon Valley Bank, but it's because the Federal Reserve and the FDIC believed that by letting Silicon Valley Bank fail, by letting those depositors, in many cases, those are small companies, they're not all based out west, they're not all technology companies, that there was a systemic risk to the economy that people didn't get paid, that livelihoods were on the line, that there could be a a big spike in unemployment and a real impact on the economy. And so the reason why regulators stepped in was not just because of one bank, as Ken Griffin is saying, but it was because of the systemic risk to the overall economy. And uh, I'd like to see Griffin's response to to that argument. (laughs) Well, a good chance you might be on air later today, Kayla Tashi. Great reporting and a great question for Ken Griffin, actually. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you. All right, Silicon Valley, a bank, isn't the only company seeing big losses from the treasuries on the balance sheet. Some of the largest tech companies also reporting unrealized losses in the billions. For example, Microsoft with more than $2.5 billion in unrealized losses in treasuries, according to latest filings. 
Alphabet, just over $2 billion. Wedbush says we could be headed towards a write-down bonanza when it comes to the bonds in many company portfolios. I've spoken to analysts and a Microsoft investor who says this won't fundamentally change the view on the stock, but it does have the potential to impact earnings. And what we're seeing, it shouldn't be a total surprise, according to Eurofinance. As yields soared last year, the top S&P 500 companies reported a $27 billion loss in Q2 from unrealized losses on bonds. All right. Now paying attention to big tech and regional banks, a number of names within the sector bouncing back in the pre-market after shares were hammered in Monday's session. Amid the backlash over Silicon Valley Bank, new details emerging of big stock sales by company insiders. Our Robert Frank joins us with much more on that. Good morning, Robert. Good morning, Frank. Well, insiders at Silicon Valley Bank selling more than $84 billion million of stock over the past two years. A trust owned by CEO Greg Becker sold 3.6 million of shares just two weeks before its collapse. Since 2021, he has sold just under $30 million in stock. Now, most of those sales were when the stock price was between $200 and $600 a share. That stock, of course, no longer trading. The CFO, the COO, the CMO of SVB also selling millions of dollars worth of shares. Now, Becker sold those shares as part of a 10B51 plan. He often purchased lower price options as part of those sales. Democratic Congressman Ro Khanna saying Becker should give back the proceeds from those that most recent stock sale and, quote, there should be a clawback of any of that money. Shares of First Republic up, uh, actually down 74 percent so far this year, down 60 percent yesterday. Executives there cashing out nearly $80 million worth of shares since 2021. Executive Chairman Jim Herbert sold over $28 million in shares, including $1.7 million last month. Most of those sales were between $120 and $180 a share. Frank, as you mentioned, those shares now showing pre-market bounce uh, at around $39, but lots of attention on that $3.6 million share sale literally two weeks before all this happened. So a lot of calls for some kind of regulation around these share sales. So you were just mentioning a program that he did the share sales through. Um, I don't I didn't wasn't familiar with the name. I think a lot of our especially retail investors won't be familiar. But I think the big question here is, are, are regulators taking a look at these executive share sale programs and especially the timing? Yeah. So these are 10B51 programs, and these are essentially programs where executives set up a schedule to share, sell the shares so that it doesn't seem like they're selling on news. And uh, SEC Chair Gary Gensler has really taken a closer look at these, basically describing them as fig leaves for when executives do have information. They can just say, well, it was a 10B51 plan. Now, under Gensler's proposal, Becker's shares sales would not have been possible because uh, Gensler is saying, look, you have to you should be able to wait 90 days before you create the program to when you sell them. This program that Becker created was created in late January. So it was less than a month later that he sold the shares after creating the program. So I think this could only sort of accelerate Gensler's timeline for imposing some more strong regulations around these 10 B51 programs. Yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of people on Capitol Hill looking at the timing of that and how that all played out. Robert Frank, great reporting as always. Thank you. All right, coming up, much more on the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. MSA Capital's Ben Harburg lays out the major hurdles now being created for venture capital and entrepreneurs and the ripple effects that are still yet to hit. 
Wax, back in a moment. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to Wax. The ripple effects of the SVB collapse hitting dozens of venture-backed tech and life sciences companies. Roblox, Circle, and BlockFi among the names with significant deposits in SVB, which provided services to nearly half of all VC companies here in the U.S. For much more on what this means for the VC landscape, I'm joined by Ben Harburg, managing partner at MSA Capital, a Beijing-based VC firm whose portfolio companies include Airbnb, Uber, and EV maker Neo. Ben, great to have you on. So I think we just need to get right into it. What does this mean for VCs? And I know VCs, it's, it's a very particular culture, and it drives innovation here in the U.S. and around the world. But why should the rest of us care about the impact to these VCs? These VCs are the future of most of the economies around uh, the United States as well as the world. I mean, this is the next wave of evolution uh, economically. If, if these companies that will form the next generation of Ubers and Airbnbs are undermined, uh, and thrown out of the basket today. Uh, we won't have those companies to sustain America's technological leadership um, uh, and to and to also drive, obviously, employment and economic growth over the coming decades. All right. Very interesting. You say it's also this bank, SBB, is also the lifeblood for a lot of VCs overseas, especially in China. So, again, I have to ask you the same question. As a U.S.-based investor, most of our audience is U.S.-based, why should we be concerned about the VC landscape in China and other countries? Certainly, this undermines the overall potency of the U.S. dollar and America's place as the financial capital of the world. Many of the markets in which we invest have witnessed bank runs like these over the last years and never expected a similar sentiment or experience out of their Western banking partners. Uh, if these types of runs sustain, uh, global economies will look for other trade and financial partners, as you're starting to see already uh, in China doing business with uh, Middle Eastern governments in the energy space and RMB denominated transactions. So it is critical that American banks be seen as the most stable, secure places for capital if we want to sustain our financial leadership. All right. Very interesting. So we're, we're talking more macro now. Let's get a little bit more granular. We're talking about the companies that you support. What are they telling you about the collapse of SVB and how does it change your strategy going forward? The challenge for many of these businesses is they could not get the attention uh, or approvals from a lot of the traditional banks. It's not that they were doing anything um, risky uh, or speculative. They simply were too small, too nascent for people to bank or to take their money in for very um, traditional banking services like deposits, payroll, et cetera. Uh, and so the challenge for these uh, these young uh, entrepreneurs and startups today is that they will have to look for other financial partners, and there are very few and far between. They cannot laterally move over to a top five U.S. bank like many of their uh, Western counterparts. And so uh, the challenge for them today is to find stable banking partners to continue sustaining services in an already very challenging environment for tech, uh, which globally, as well as emerging markets, was uh, really uh, having to justify its existence to investors in the wake of this global financial collapse. All right. Ben Harburg, managing partner at MSA Capital. Really appreciate you being here. Thank you. All right. As we head to break throughout March, we're celebrating women's heritage. As we head to break, here is Franklin Templeton, CEO and president, Jenny Johnson. My advice to any leader, not just women, is what I call my four P's. People, passion, purpose and persistence. People, surround yourself with the best team you possibly can get. 
passion, love what you do and you never work a day in your life. Purpose, describe what you do in a purposeful way such that people can get excited about and and follow you on it. And then persistence. I think the difference between success and failure often is uh, how somebody responds when they fail, dusting themselves off and just getting right back into the game. All right, welcome back to WEX. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. Six stories you may have missed as we close in on the 6 o'clock hour. U.S. regulators reportedly set to make a second attempt to sell Silicon Valley Bank after an auction this past weekend failed. Our Jim Cramer says if it fails again, the banking sector route could continue. And it's not just regulators. The Financial Times says venture capital firms are also working on a, quote, long-shot plan to preserve parts of SVB, including General Catalyst and Andreessen Horowitz. This coming amid Friday and yesterday's banking sector sell-off. In all, global financial stocks have now lost a combined $465 billion in market value since Friday. Hardest hit, the regional banks, with the sector coming off its largest single-day drop in three years, now trading at their lowest level since November of 2020. Leading the regionals lower is First Republic Bank, catching a bid this morning, however, after sliding more than 60% yesterday. Moody says it's putting the bank, along with Western Alliance, Zions, Comerica, and others, on negative downgrade watch. And it's not just the regionals. Concerns around Charles Schwab punishing that stock as well, closing down more than 12% yesterday and erasing more than $2.9 billion from its founder's net worth. All right, turning our attention back to the broader markets, the focus may shift to inflation today. With CPI out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern, prices likely rose at a solid pace in February. Headline CPI is forecast to come and at 6% year-over-year versus 6.4% back in January. Experts are split on whether the numbers will be enough to push the Fed to hike rates next week after the failure of SVB. Fed funds futures pricing in a 27% chance of a pause next week and a 73% chance of a quarter-point hike. Just last week, there was a 70% chance of a 50 basis point hike. Big reversal there. Let's bring in Sarah House, senior economist at Wells Fargo, and Aaron Gibbs, CIO at Main Street Asset Management. Ladies, thank you for being here. Sarah, I'm going to start off with you. We've got CPI coming up at 8.30 this morning. Is it still a big deal? Is it still a market mover as SVB just overshadowed the entire thing? So I think it's still very important for the market. So I think in, in the very short term, it's probably taking a backseat to some of the other market developments that we've seen. But particularly if we see market conditions calm down, then I think people are, are really going to pour over the details and, and really think through this report. And what we're looking for is another really strong print on, on CPI. So both on the headline basis, but also the core. Aaron, what about for you? I mean, you're balancing portfolios, portfolios, you're looking at different things and investment opportunities. Do you believe that CPI still has the same weight on the Fed, specifically uh, Jay Powell when he testified on Capitol Hill, obviously before SBB, so they were going to watch the jobs report and the CPI report? Uh, certainly, I, I think this might be the one report where it, it is going to be less important, let's say, than we've seen in prior months. As long as the trend continues, as you know, we've been slowly declining, uh, I think that's going to reassure the Fed. I think obviously right now their most immediate concern um, are the potential bank failures. Um, and and just what we're seeing in the bond market, they're pretty good at predicting what these rate hikes are. And obviously the, the indications are that they're expecting you know, something less than 50, point, 50 bips. Maybe, maybe it's 25, maybe it's zero. But um, you know, that's certainly what the market is expecting. 
So, Sarah, um, let's say we have no hike at all. There is some you know, potential for that. Obviously, the Fed futures are pricing in some of that. What does that mean for the broader economy? Does that tell the economy one message that kind of goes counter to the Fed saying that they would be steadfast in their plan to reduce inflation? Well, I think it depends on on what we see beyond March. So I think it's very possible that we see the Fed pause for March, let things calm down. And then if you continue to see hot inflation, if the measures put in place by by the Fed, the new facility work at calming those fears, then I think you could see another hike come May. So I don't necessarily think that this spells the end of, of the tightening cycle. And I think even if it does suggest the Fed needs to to be a little bit more cautious with their stance, I think it could end up with with the Fed potentially just sitting where where they are in terms of the Fed funds rate for a while that it doesn't necessarily mean mean cuts. So I think there's there's still a lot of different scenarios that that we could see that could suggest that that could still lead to um, pressure, uh, slow downward pressure on inflation. You know, Sarah, another question for you. Um, A lot of people are saying, well, isn't this what the Fed was trying to do? They continue to, to hike rates and slow down the economy and I guess test the market. So is this a perhaps an unintended consequence here or do you think it's an intended consequence, not specifically this, but for something in the market and the economy to break down? Well, I don't think it was an intended consequence to, to, quote, break anything. But I think what we did see from the Fed is is they wanted to tighten financial conditions since that's through the channel with which monetary policy works. And that would be what puts downward pressure on on inflation. So I think tighter financial conditions are, are a feature, not a bug of, of Fed policy. But of course, the, the speed and, and how quickly we get there matters. And I think what we've seen over the past few days is uncomfortably quick for the Fed. So, Aaron, I just saw you not a minute ago when I was saying that to Sarah. Obviously, the loan conditions have changed dramatically since SVB. Um, What is your take as far as finding opportunities in this market now in the wake of SVB? I know you have some picks for us, but just in general, there's certain sectors you're looking at. Uh, So uh, not so much in the U.S. equities right now. I think um, while it could be a really fast trade to get into some of these regional banks and there are a bunch of ETFs where you can just buy broadly rather than focusing on, on individuals, you know, already and we're seeing some extended pops for the day. Um, rather than sort of trade that volatility, I actually like the dollar trade. Um, and so the dollar against the baskets, it actually dropped off rather quickly in the past couple of days, but it's still in a prolonged extended trade. Uh, extended upward uh, since their lows in February's. And I think that's another one that you could use um, a little more long term. You don't have to just trade it for within two days. And there's a, a Wisdom Tree uh, dollar trade uh, ETF that I think you could use um, just to, to play okay. off of some of the, the rate changes and the expectations. All right, Aaron, we almost got to go, but I want to go through your picks very quickly. Ryanair, LVMH and Amadeus IT Group. It really seems like you're trying to get out of the U.S. with some of these picks. Uh, I've been big, big fan of Europe and just their general outperformance. Um, and the, despite yesterday's downturn in the European market, they're already looking to, to rebound part of that for the day. So I'm a big fan of tourism, luxury trades. Um, and even despite a, a stronger dollar, those stocks okay. have been outperforming their U.S. peers. All right. Sarah House and Aaron Gibbs, we have to leave the conversation there. Thank you both for being here. That's going to do, do it for us here on Worldwide Exchange. Squawk Box coming up next. Thanks for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.